Okay, well, I'm sure many of you are familiar with the words of Jesus in this verse uh, from John's Gospel. I think many of us probably know these words by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him, everyone who believes in him may not perish, may not perish, but have eternal life. Um, those are the words of Jesus. And the Apostle John quotes these words of Jesus in this chapter. And Jesus quite clearly in this verse presents a, um, a great danger, really, a great threat from, from which we've, we, we must be saved, which, from which we need to be rescued. And according to John's gospel, our greatest need is to be saved from perishing. That everyone who believes in him may not perish. What exactly does that mean? Not to perish. I want to look at this a little bit this morning and then I'm going to go a little bit further and then we're going to go further in the weeks ahead. Let's look at what Jesus says here in, 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 the, in the verses prior to, to verse 16. In John chapter 3 verses 14 and 15, Jesus says this. He says, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is referring to something back in the Old Testament. He says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So Jesus is referring to a deadly episode in the history of Israel. If you go back to the Old Testament, you'll find that during the Exodus, there was a time when, when the Israelites were, were in a place and they were being bitten by these poisonous snakes. And they were dying. They were dying. They, uh, you know, I, I don't even, can't quite comp comprehend how, how bad it must have been. But you can read about that in Numbers chapter 21. And in the story, you find that God tells Moses to make a copper image of, of the snake. Whatever these poisonous serpents are that are biting these people and they're dying, God tells Moses, make a copper image of it and attach it to a pole and lift that copper image up onto a pole. And God tells Moses to tell the people that if anyone gets bitten by one of these poisonous snakes, all they needed to do was to look at the image and they would live. And they, they wouldn't die. They just needed to look at that image and they would live. And so what we see in the Old Testament is this, in, in this miracle working image of this, of this snake is a, is a prefiguring of Jesus being lifted up on the cross. That's what we're seeing over there. When we look to the crucified Christ in faith, the power of sin and death is overthrown in our lives. Just as what was happening in that Old Testament story, when those people looked at that copper image, they would live so too, Jesus is saying that if we look to Jesus who was raised up on that cross, the power of death will be defeated in our own lives. So the, the, the image of the snake was the weapon that destroyed the power of those serpents. And so too, the cross of Jesus is the weapon that destroys death. Now what we need to understand over here are you with me? Is that those snakes point back to the entry of sin into the world. When that serpent came into the garden and tempted Adam and Eve to disobey God. 
God had warned them not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is what he said in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. God said, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Now when they disobeyed, they didn't immediately die, right? Instead what happened was they were expelled from the garden and they were barred from eating of the tree of life. In other words, what Genesis is telling us is that they died, they perished spiritually. Physical death came later. But through their sin, as the parents of, of humanity, and through our own sin, the poison of death has entered into our souls. And unless we are saved, we will all experience an everlasting death. Unless you are saved, just as those Israelites looked at that copper image and it prefigured Jesus on the cross, and we understand that death was overthrown through the work of the cross, unless we too look at the cross, unless we are saved, we will experience everlasting death. Now to perish, in, uh, in this sense, doesn't mean that you cease to exist. If you go to Revelation 20 verse 10, if I use that language, it means to be tormented forever. Paul says this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through to 9. He says, It is indeed just of God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. And he's writing to, in a time where Christians were being persecuted, right, with the early church. He says, just as, just, It is just of God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to the afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, with his mighty angels in a fiery flame, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Quite strong language that Paul's using over here. He says, these will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, separated from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Now you might read those words and read, well, what, the suffer the punishment of eternal destruction if I don't look to Jesus? You might be wondering, how can a God who loves the world allow people to perish in this way? Well, here's what Jesus said a little bit further down in John chapter 3 and verse 18. Jesus said, those who believe in him are not condemned. But those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. In other words, some people will use their God-given free will to make a choice not to believe. And the key word that we find here is this word condemned. And what that means is that humanity is going to be judged for their sins unless those sins can be removed. We're going to be judged for the lives that we lived and we're going to be judged for that sinful condition unless that sinful condition is removed. And the judgment for that sin, the scripture tells us, is eternal death. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so here's where the, here's where the, the love of God comes in. God shows his love to humanity by sending his son Jesus into this world. God in human flesh come into this world. And on the cross, Jesus made a way for us to be 
forgiven. Jesus made a way for us to escape judgment at an infinite cost to himself. But if we reject God's loving offer of salvation and we refuse to believe in Jesus Christ, neither we nor God can avoid our condemnation. Every person who chooses not to believe is exercising their free will to do so. And ultimately, that is going to bring separation from God. Now, we've all just spoken these words from Romans chapter 10 in, in verse 13. We ended that, what we spoke out together, where we, where we said, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's what I want to, this is what I want to talk about. This is what I want to talk about in this message series. I want to start talking about it today, and we're going to go into it over the next three weeks. So really what I want to talk about is I want to talk about salvation in terms of the tenses that we find in the New Testament. Past, present, and future. Right? Salvation uh, is, is a Greek, comes from a Greek word, sozo, and this word is used in the past tense, the present tense, what, the past tense, the present tense, and the future tense in the New Testament. So I want to talk about this. Let's go to that next slide. I want to start out here by looking at this word saved. And I've got a question mark there, saved. We're talking about the past tense here. What does it mean to be saved? I mean, how do I call on the name of the Lord? I don't want to perish. I want to have everlasting life. So, so what should salvation look like in my life? Now, the reason why I'm talking about this is because I felt a real urge, like a prompting, and I believe it is the Holy Spirit, really, over the last number of weeks, to spend some time talking again about the subject of salvation. I think this is so, so important, especially in the modern church today. So I'm going to talk about salvation. Now, how do you get saved? I think in the context of many modern churches, the familiar answer to how you get saved is that you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, right? Your Lord and Savior. And you do that generally in prayer, very often by asking Him to come into your heart to forgive you of your sins so that you can be saved. And very often what happens is they will pray what they call a, they pray a sinner's prayer or a salvation prayer. And that sinner's prayer or that salvation prayer is associated uh, as, as the, the moment of, of your conversion into Christianity. In fact, there are many Christians who can still remember the exact date and time that they prayed that, that kind of prayer and gave their life to Christ, where they were born again, right? And, and many people still celebrate that as an important moment in their lives. Now, although there's no sinner's prayer or salvation prayer in, 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 in Scripture, prayer is definitely the starting place by, by coming to, to surrender your life to Christ. But the journey to salvation is more than just a prayer alone. Salvation really is, is a grand accomplishment with many facets. It, 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 is, it is this great and expansive deliverance. It's, it's the deliverance of humanity from every enemy that we could ever have. That's what the work of salvation achieved. It is the deliverance from sin. It is the deliverance from condemnation. It is the deliverance from the wrath of God. It is de deliverance from the devil and his demons. It, it is deliverance from this world in which we live and the systems of this world. And ultimately, it is deliverance from death. Now, like I said, that word saved translates from a Greek word sozo, 
and it's used in all three tenses, past, present, and future. And I really want to focus on this today because this, this idea of past, present, and future, because I think that a great problem with many modern churches is that the teaching on salvation has resulted in such a simplification, such a reduction, that it leaves many Christians with big gaps in their understanding of what it actually means to be saved. So maybe this morning we could just get our heads around this idea that, that salvation is past, present, and future. Because many Christians, I think, mistakenly think that when it comes to salvation and being saved, that it's like a one-time deal. It's like a past event. Right? I get saved. I was saved. I'm saved. I got saved. And I'm okay. I'm in. I'm going to heaven. And, and I can understand why. Because what happens in many modern churches today is that there's this, it's, it's, salvation has been reduced to a prayer that you pray at the end of a church service. And, I've, and I'm sure many of us have been in these kinds of church services, and, and I've even done this in, in churches that I've led. You get to the end of the service, and, and you, want, you want people to be saved. So you'll say, would you close your eyes and bow your heads, and who wants to be saved? And very often you'll hear somebody say, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. <laughs> and, you, and you pray a prayer. You pray a prayer to make Jesus your, your Lord and Savior. And then what happens, and, and I'm generalizing here because this is not every church, but then what happens is that people are, are, are encouraged to, you know, now you need to find a good church. You need to, you know, buy a Bible, get a Bible, read your Bible, you know. And, 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 and that's where it's left. Job done. You're good to go. So salvation has, has, has come to mean that you accept Jesus as your personal Savior by believing that he died for your sins, and by praying a prayer of faith, you can receive that forgiveness and you can come into relationship with him. And the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians are often quoted. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And so the focus is on, is on calling on the name of the Lord by faith, which leads to this glorious exchange, and it really is a glorious exchange, in which the sins of the sinner are imputed to Jesus Christ, and the righteousness of Jesus is imputed to the believing sinner. And from that moment, the sinner is radically transferred, transferred from being under the wrath of God to being under the grace of God, from moving from darkness into light. It's, it's really quite beautiful. And so the great quest really is that, you know, that to make sure that you're saved. And then the next part of that is to make sure that others get saved. Now, the problem with many churches is that that's all they're pursuing. And, and I know some churches who, 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 who tick off. It's like, you know, this is, how, this is our success rate. How many people got saved today? That's, that's the way by which they mark their success. Now, I just want to be really clear this morning that none of what I've just laid out is wrong. None of, none of what I've just said is, is wrong at all. We, we cannot deny the important um, or the immense importance of an act of faith. We cannot deny the importance of the need to be saved. We can't negate the desire that others get saved as well. The problem, though, is that there are gaps that need to be filled. Because I speak to a lot of people about this idea of being saved in salvation, and I can see that there's not a complete understanding. You see, salvation is very much related to the church. Salvation is actualized in and through the church. It's not just something that, that occurs through a private or a personal decision of faith. It's not just a singular past event with a specific date and time. It's not just that you've been forgiven of your sins and you're now 
eligible for heaven after you die. You are saved into the body of Christ, the church. And I think this idea of a personal faith is why church has, has become less of a priority for so many Christians. I'm amazed, I'm amazed in this city in which I live here in Perth, how many Christians I know who would say that I'm a Christian, but you never find them in a worship service on a Sunday morning, the Lord's Day. You don't see them there. There's no regular pattern of church worship in the community of God. And I'm amazed by that. And they still think it's all okay. I'm amazed by how many Christians lack participation in the life of the church. They look at it and they go, well, it's not really an essential. I'm saved. It's a done deal. I'm okay. I think to God's dismay, some people just choose not to belong to a church. Part of the act of salvation is that you become part of the body of Christ, the church of Jesus. And the reason why there is a church is because the church is direct, directly involved in affecting salvation. The church is involved in bringing discipleship into lives. The church is involved in, in affecting sacraments. And I'm not getting all religious here this morning because I know some churches would refer, use the word ordinances, but I like to use the word sacrament, especially when it comes to something like baptism. The reason why I use that is because when you talk about the sacrament, it's, there's, a, there's a physical um, connection with the spiritual. There's something seen connecting with that which is unseen. And it, it amazes me that, you know, that these days baptism for a lot of people who get saved is like an afterthought. It's, like, it's not really that important. But salvation is more than just a confession of faith in Jesus Christ as God and Savior. It includes being baptized into the name of, of, the, of the, the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. I want to tell you this morning, folk, that even though the Bible distinguishes baptism from faith, it never separates baptism from faith. It's essential. Baptism is not only an outward sign and symbol of what's already occurred, it's, it, is, it is sacramental. It is something that sets you apart as holy. It consecrates you to God. It conveys a special grace, a special touch of God in your life. It is a definitive moment of salvation. Baptism signifies that you are forgiven, that you are washed, that you are cleansed, that you are incorporated into the church, that you are united to Christ, that you are made a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing how many Christians just don't go there and how many churches don't put an emphasis on that. Another thing that's often not fully understood is the work of the cross. Again, I, I, I speak to a lot of people. I say, well, what's, why, why is the cross important to you? Well, it's because Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sins. And that's it. And that's good. That's the right answer. But the work of the cross is more than that. The atoning work of our Savior, Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus, on the cross saves us in three essential ways. And, and let's just get this over here. I mean, the very first one is probably the most important thing. That none would perish, but all would have eternal life. On the cross, Jesus conquered death. One day, your physical mortal bag of bones will drop. Amen, some people say. <laughs> But one day that bag of bones will be raised again in the resurrection because death has been conquered. 
Death will not hold you. Where's the sting of death? Why should I fear death? Right? So on the cross, Jesus conquered death. On the cross, Jesus triumphed over the principalities and powers of this evil age. So when we look at what's happening in the Middle East, when we look at what's happening around the globe, we can understand and know that there are evil powers working behind all of this. And we can pray with authority into that because we know that Jesus has conquered all of those principalities and powers. The evil one has been bound. So do we pray in the power of the name of Jesus? Or are we just shirking back and joining the rest of the world saying, Oh, I wring my hands. Oh, no, there's nothing I can do. Or do we really understand the work of the cross as, the, as believers in Christ? And yes, on the cross, Jesus made atonement for human sins by his blood. See, although forgiveness is at the heart of salvation, it's at the same time more than just forgiveness. We have real and tangible present enemies from which we need to be saved. And we need to understand this. So although salvation is a, is a, is a definitive act, which for many of us was a past event, we've got to remember that it's not just about a mere one-time event in your life or my life. Salvation is a process. It is a whole way of life that places us within God's saving grace. We are saved by faith when we believe and are baptized, and that continues into the present and then into the future. Being saved in a past event really leads us into joyful repentance in the present. Joyful repentance. I'm saved. Hallelujah. I'm saved. And now I'm entering, entering into a life of repentance. It's not like a repentance is a one-time deal. No, repentance is a lifetime deal. It comes from the Greek word metanoia. It means to change my way of thinking. It means to change my way of belief. And how many of you know that it takes time for you to unpeel all the rubbish in your life so that you can begin to walk in truth? So it's joyful repentance. Lord, I got that wrong. I've missed that. God, help me in my life because I want to walk after you. I want to follow after you. Joyful repentance. I love that sign over there. It says, never stop wondering and asking questions. And that's what we need to do about our faith in Christ. We need to say, why do I believe what I believe? What I've been taught, what I, what I listen to, God, direct me and guide me in the power of your Spirit. Repentance is a lifelong process in which we incorporate the life of Jesus as our own. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, he says, It is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. So in baptism, we are joined to Christ. We personally participate, if you read in Romans, we participate in his death and resurrection and we are born again or we are born from above. But you know, just as a newly born baby has to be nourished and grow in strength and character, and I'm seeing this in our home again because we just got a puppy and this puppy's just got to learn. This puppy's piddling everywhere and doing its stuff everywhere and I'm like, was this the right decision, Lord? Did I hear you correctly? And my wife's going, yeah, it's like a new baby, you know. And this baby's got to be trained. This dog's got to be trained so it knows where to go and do its stuff. So it knows not to yelp at five o'clock in the morning when I'm trying to sleep. And so just as a newborn baby has to be nourished and grow in strength and character, so too a newly baptized Christian has to learn to begin to walk in the light of salvation. Salvation is not just a ticket to heaven after this life. 
It is participation in the life of God now, in this life, as well as a never-ending and ever-increasing participation in the life that's to come. Salvation is not just a mental assent or a mental acceptance or belief in God. It is, it is the reality of communion. It is the reality of relationship with God through Christ, with the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So we are saved, and then we are being saved in the present. We are being saved. So we play a big part in this process of being saved. This is where you learn to submit your will to the will of God. Hello. Your will to the will of God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done in my life as you've decreed it for me. How many of you live like that every day, 24-7? No hands. You see? play a big part in this process of being saved. This is where we learn to submit to God. This is where we draw near to God and where we learn to live according to the commandments of Jesus. This is when we say, this book is quite an important book. I need to get into this book because this book should have an authority in my life. If this is the inspired word of God, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to know what's written in here. And, and, and pretty much this is, this is the time where for many Christians, salvation gets tricky. It gets tricky. Because God's given us a free will. God has given us a free will. So we get to have a big say in how much of the activity of God's going to take place in our lives. We've got a big say. But this is the time when the message of the cross becomes a reality in our everyday life. It becomes a reality in our everyday life. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18. He says, the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And Paul writes this in Philippians 2 verses 12. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He says, work it out. Paul's saying, take the saving grace of Jesus seriously. Let this get worked out in your life. Live your life so that people around you can see that you're a follower of Jesus. A follower of Jesus. A follower of Jesus. Not a fan. A follower. That means we apply ourselves to living life the way that Jesus would have us live. We begin to take this and we think about it. We begin to chew it over and mull it over. And we begin to meditate on this so that we can learn and grow and know what it means to be, to be a follower of Jesus. As we work out that salvation in this process of being saved. This is the work of being saved. And it's a dynamic and it's a synergistic work that involves not only God's power and grace, but it also involves our human wills holding fast to the word of truth so that we don't become Judases. So your salvation, folk, this morning requires participation by God and you. God plays the primary part by making it possible for us to be saved through his work of redemption and by his unending mercy. But we have an essential part as well. We have the part of cooperation with God and incorporation of the things of the kingdom into our lives. Now I'll tell you this morning, I don't know everything. I'm, 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 I'm no genius. I'm an immigrant who made it to Australia. 
I don't know all things. And I know that not all churches agree on whether salvation can be lost or not. And I think that's why so many people who get saved kind of just stumble forward in their Christian life. Because a lot of folk just think, well, job done. It's okay with me. I'm okay. I can live my life. I can go about, you know, I'll go to church maybe once or twice or whatever. I'll know know a few Christians, but I'm just going to live my life because I'm saved. And so they kind of stumble forward in their Christian life without really paying any attention to their walk with Jesus. They've never learned to apply themselves to, to pray. They've never learned to fast. They've never prostrated themselves before God and said, God, come and intervene in this situation. It's a short little prayer. Oh God, I need a parking. Instead, you should be on your knees praying for your children on a regular basis. You know, you know what I'm talking about over here? And so they're kind of stumbling forward in their faith. And when things go wrong, they look at the circumstances instead of God. And then they look at the circumstances, they say, God, why are you not working in my circumstances? Instead of looking to God to know that he's the one who's going to take you through those circumstances. So you're kind of stumbling forward in your walk with God. And my advice, if that's you, is to be careful. Please walk humbly before God. Don't make assumptions about a past event in your life. God has given us free will. How's that going for you? I got challenged about that this week. I suddenly thought to myself, Lord, I have to, I, you want me to freely use my will to love you. If I don't give you my love out of my own free will, then what is it? You'll never force me to love you. You've let the decision lie with me. To love you. To honor you. To live for you. Folk, here's something Paul told us about his salvation in 1 Corinthians 9. Paul said this. He says, he says, don't you know that in a race, the runners all compete, but only one receives the prize. And then Paul says, run in such a way that you might win it. He goes on to use athletes as an illustration. He says, athletes exercise self-control in all things. And they do it, he says, to receive a perishable wreath. He says, but we, we do it to receive an imperishable one. So Paul says, I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as though I'm beating the air. No, man, I punish my body, I enslave it. So that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. Listen, who wrote most of the New Testament? This guy. He says, so after I've proclaimed this message of the cross, the glorious gospel to others, he says, man, I'm, I'm very careful about myself, lest I be disqualified. It's quite a powerful passage. It seems like disqualification was considered a possibility by Paul. He knew. I mean, he had a dramatic salvation encounter, and he knew that even though he'd been so dramatically saved, by Jesus, he still had to deal with his own sinful nature. He still had to surrender his life to Christ. He had to, at the, those issues, he had, to, he had to say, God, I'm coming before you because this has got to change. And so just like training prepares an athlete, you and I, we need to have spiritual disciplines in our life to help us exercise our faith to prepare us for what's to come. To prepare us for what's to come. I'm going to talk about this in a couple of weeks' time. But you don't want to be coming through this life and going, yeah, 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 it's all okay. I'm going to be in heaven one day. 
and then you don't even really know what it's all about. You might not even recognize Jesus because you've not done the groundwork of preparing. We've got to prepare our, ourselves. We've got to apply ourselves. Glory to God. I think some of the most sobering words that Jesus ever spoke are found in Matthew chapter 7. Where Jesus says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. People will say, but Lord, we did this in your name. We did that in your name. I went to church at Easter. I went to church at Christmas. I gave money to the church. And Jesus says, but I never knew you. I never knew you. Being saved, present tense, is about getting to know God, getting to know your God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Being saved is about learning what the kingdom is all about. It's about saying, how does this shape my life? How does this shape my thinking? And then our hope is to be saved for the future. Glenn, we want to be saved for the future. Listen, salvation is primarily about a future reality. That's primarily what it's about, a future reality. We are saved by faith, by accepting God's grace and confirming that in baptism. We are being saved as we walk with God and are filled with the Holy Spirit. And we will be saved when Jesus returns to judge the world and to deliver us from the wrath that is to come unless we, unless we ruin ourselves. Paul says this in Romans chapter 5. He says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. What we're seeing over here in these verses is, is our hope to be saved at the second coming of Christ, at the glorious appearance of Jesus. Folk, this is the day we look forward to. This is the day I'm looking forward to. I look at what's happening around in this globe, on this globe right now, and I look at the state of this world, and I go, Lord, I'm looking forward to that day. I'm anticipating that day. Come, Lord Jesus. And so that's why every day we strive to, to grow and to repent and to seek God and to know God and to be filled with His Spirit and to eliminate prayerlessness from our lives and to have relationship with Him every day. Who have you leak? I, I leak. I leak the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We, be, being filled with the Holy Spirit is an ever ongoing thing. I'm filled with the Spirit. Every morning I say, God, come and fill me with your Spirit again because if I'm not filled with your Spirit, I'm going to get it wrong. So fill me with your Spirit again. But I'm telling you, I leak during the day. I, 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 I quench the work of the Spirit in my life very often. There's a puppy in my house and I quench the work of the Spirit. With this dog. I'm learning to love the dog. So I'm applying myself and I'm striving. But I leak. And so in the next day I say, Lord, give me the strength again. Fill me with your spirit. John says this in 1 John 3 verse 2. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. There is a coming transfiguration of believers. There is, a, there is the coming of a glorious resurrection in a redeemed creation. In a creation where all things are renewed. In a creation where everything is put right. This life 
right now is, is, is corrupt. It's broken. And so we look forward to a new life that transcends the fallen boundaries that define our current existence. That's the future. That's the future that we look to. And so, folk, this morning, I just want to say that, that the mystery of salvation is, is a lifetime engagement with God. It's going to have its ups and downs in your life. It's going to have its twists and turns. But if you're seeking God, you're going to have a life filled with opportunities to learn to love God. You're going to know that you can turn to Him again and again when, when, when you mess up and you, and you lay that before Him and get back with Him. You'll receive His forgiveness. It's like, it's like Jesus is standing there with His hand out, outstretched and He's going, just say sorry, get it right and put your hand back in mine and we're going to, and we're going to keep going. When we come to Christ as sinners, we've got, we got nothing really to offer Him. All we can do is, is put our faith and trust in Him and we can repent. But once we come to Him and receive the gift of salvation, what happens is we enter into a sacred covenant to honor Him and to do what He's created us to do. He's, we've been created for good works. We've been created to bring the light of God into this world. And so we're going to be diving a little bit deeper into this over the next few weeks. But I just want to encourage you today. I really want to encourage you. If you're sitting here and you've never come to a place of, of confessing Christ as Lord of your life, can I encourage you to soberly think about doing that? Seriously, put some thought into doing that. I, I, I think it's the best decision that anyone could ever make with their life. Ultimate reality is not now. Ultimate reality is yet to come. And I want to encourage you. I would say to you, don't delay. I would say to you, have some urgency about this. Don't leave it. Sort it out now. If I look around, I think we're living in the latter days of, this, of the last days of this age. I'm pretty much convinced of that. And you know, you can surrender your life to Jesus on your own. You can do that in private. Or you can do it here in, in, with our, our church. There are many people in our congregation who'd love to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. And if you've got questions, never stop wondering and asking questions. Come and ask those questions. Come and ask. If you don't understand, say, can you explain this to me? I'll make time to, to, to sit with you to talk about it. But this, this, this issue of being saved is a life or death matter.